0: The strange but true stories featured on this podcast contain details some people may find distressing. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Chayaz Samuel and things are about to get weird. Welcome back to Weird Fix. These are the mini episodes where I cover more bite-sized, strange but true stories, and I love to throw in a bit of a fun fact at the end too, something for you to sprinkle into conversation if the opportunity arises. As usual, I have quite an eclectic mix for you today, starting off with a story that was shared with me over in our Facebook discussion group by one of our listeners, James, all about the unexplained and really very sad incident known as the Surrey Ghost Crash. On the evening of the 11th of December 2002 in the southern English county of Surrey, Police received a number of phone calls reporting that an accident had taken place along the busy A3 Road. Although the night was dark, those who reported the incident were clear about what they had seen. They said that a car appeared to have lost control and veered off the road around 10 metres before the slip road located at Burpham, a suburb of Guildford. The emergency services rushed to the scene and started to search for the car which had crashed off the road but when they reached the spot described in the 999 calls, there was no vehicle to be found. As there were several ditches around the roadside area, officers decided to widen their search area a little in case the reports about the accident had been slightly inaccurate with the location. They had moved around 20 metres further along the road when they spotted something completely baffling in one of the ditches. Covered by trees and grass and facing bonnet down was a maroon-coloured Vauxhall Astra car. But unlike the vehicle they were looking for, which had reportedly crashed that night, this car had clearly been buried in the undergrowth for some time. This next detail is pretty horrible, so do feel free to skip ahead a few seconds if you'd prefer. But when the officers were able to get down into the ditch to access the car, they soon realised its driver had not made it out of the wreck alive. They discovered the remains of a man terribly decomposed, who had been laying hidden with the vehicle for a considerable while, completely out of the view of anyone on the road. One of the men, whose job it had been to recover the car, Steve Casey, spoke out back in 2012 about what he witnessed that night. He described the Vauxhall Astra as rusty and badly damaged, in a condition so bad it was completely written off. Confident that this was the only car in the vicinity, despite it obviously not being the one eyewitnesses claimed had swerved off the A3 road earlier that evening, police switched their focus from that elusive incident to the one they had just uncovered. As their investigation into this tragedy got underway, Surrey Police were able to confirm the identity of the man whose body was found at the scene. He had been 21-year-old Christopher Brian Chandler, who had been missing since July of 2002. He had originally been from West London, and his family hadn't heard from him for around five months. It's believed that he had been wanted for questioning by the Metropolitan Police in connection with a robbery, and although it appeared he had been on the run, his family could not explain why he had been in. Surrey. Police concluded that it's likely Christopher died in the car accident very soon after going missing, and that his remains had lain undetected for around that five month mark. This story is, of course, terribly sad. No one deserves to die in such an awful way. And it must have been agonising for Christopher's family to not know what had happened to him, only to then receive the worst news imaginable. But the incident also captured people's attention for another reason. As many began to speculate that what those who had called the police that night had witnessed was actually a ghostly replay of Christopher's accident from five months prior. No sign of any car having gone off the road on the 11th of December was ever found, even though witnesses were adamant that they had seen its bright headlights as it skidded off course. Could it have been a nudge from beyond the grave, setting into motion the events which would finally lead to Christopher's body being found and properly laid to rest, and answers being provided to his loved ones? or some kind of time slip showing a replay of the original accident to people who would be able to alert the authorities and prompt the discovery of the car? Alternatively, was it simply a huge coincidence? Maybe someone did have a near miss on the road that December night, but managed to recover and get back control of the wheel without stopping for long or at all. But as the police had already been called, they then happened to be in the right place to find the site of Christopher's accident? Obviously, we will never know for sure, although that definitely hasn't stopped the story from making its mark in Surrey's history books. Whatever you make of it, I just hope that Christopher's spirit, and those who were missing him, were eventually able to find some peace. Okay, next, I had planned to do a segment on some of the Nostradamus predictions for 2024, including a couple that people believe have already come true but the more I looked into it, I just found it so depressing that I totally put myself off from including it at all. So I started to have a little search around for a different story. And I came across a news article from a few days ago that I thought was fascinating. And it was all about a crop circle artist named Dean Hine. Now I'm going to be honest with you, I'd never really given much thought to the fact that there must be some dedicated crop circle artists out there. I know that sounds a bit silly, but it had just never occurred to me, I guess. Whatever your stance on them, even if you firmly believe that crop circles are the works of otherworldly beings, I guess there's always the potential for us humans to also create or recreate these amazing works of art. Sometimes with the knowledge and permission of the field's owners, and sometimes not. Personally, I don't fully know what I make of the wider topic. It's actually not something I've really looked into much. But regardless, it turns out that there are dedicated crop circle creators out there. Although there is now one less, as Dean Hine has been in the news lately after announcing his retirement. And his reasons for quitting are really quite interesting. According to Wales Online, who is a quality product engineer from Glastonbury down in Somerset, has created approximately 100 different crop circle designs since around 2007. In an interview with the Press Association, he spoke about how when he started, there were around 15 groups in the UK creating crop circles illegally, although there are now far fewer. By the way, in the UK, the practice is considered to be criminal damage if the landowner hasn't granted the artist permission, and the penalties have the potential to be severe. But he also mentioned that he would sometimes receive official commissions too, by companies who wanted to have a crop circle created as part of, say, a PR campaign. As for the more secretive designs he'd create, he revealed some details about how himself and fellow artists would sneak into isolated fields in the middle of the night to bring their visions to life. He said, quote, It's pretty amazing because you're out in the fresh air in the middle of the country. There's a bit of fear involved, a bit of adrenaline. The most amazing thing is actually seeing something you've created on paper that's really small become something that is 25 times larger and part of the landscape. Dean would create the artworks and then post about them under different names on Facebook pages dedicated to spotting crop circles to drum up intrigue, and the photos would quickly begin circulating all over the internet. He revealed some of the techniques he and his team would use to make the circles, which included everything from planks of wood to flatten the crops, to lasers to help map out their geometric lines. But... Even though Dean revealed that many of the farmers whose fields he had created the circles in over the years had actually made money from them by charging people to come and view the mysterious art, there are some darker sides to the practice which have troubled him enough that he's chosen to give it all up. Firstly, in his own words, when the Ukraine war started and the price of electricity and the cost of wheat and fertiliser went up, I was thinking, farmers aren't going to like this anymore. I have had a couple of commissions, but I've kind of knocked it on the head since then. He has also grown wary of the more sinister aspects of the supernatural belief surrounding crop circles. Whilst most people would consider it just a bit of fun, Dean acknowledges that there's the potential for people's vulnerabilities to be exploited. He said, someone wrote a book about how crop circles can heal people, and that's when it started getting a bit weird, and I thought, this isn't right. They drag people with Parkinson's disease into a crop circle, shaking and thinking that it can cure them. You are playing with people's gullibility. I mean, this whole news story has really given me a new perspective on the subject. And at the end of it, I actually do understand Dean's decision to step away from his art form. That said, his designs really were something. And some of them were even visible on Google Earth, which is amazing. I would be so interested to know where you all land on the crop circles debate. So as always, do get in touch and let me know. Last but not least, it's time for the little fact I like to round off these episodes with. And this one might just answer a question you've been wondering about for years, especially if you're fond of wearing jeans. So if you've ever been sporting your favourite pair of denim trousers and have gone to put something in your front pocket, only to find that you've accidentally ventured into that much smaller, pretty useless, tiny pocket that's usually located just above the bigger one, I'm sure you're not alone. I remember having this conversation when I was at college. Someone looked at the jeans I was wearing one day and said, What is that minuscule pocket on the front even for anyway? And I realised I had no clue, and neither did anyone else. Could it be for loose change or a folded up banknote? It's usually not even big enough for more than a few coins. How about for something like a train or a bus ticket? I could never work it out. Then, a few days ago, I stumbled across the answer, courtesy of a Reader's Digest article. That teeny tiny pocket design actually dates back to some of the very first pairs of Levi jeans ever made in the late 1800s, and was originally intended to safely house, drumroll please, a pocket watch. I mean, the first of these small pockets must have been slightly bigger than what we have now to fit the pocket watch in. Or I guess the watches themselves that went in these pockets were miniature. But I thought this was quite a quaint answer to this mystery. And with that, it's time for the outro. Time, get it, pocket watches. Anyway, thank you very much indeed for being here today for Weird Fix. Some very quick shout outs to the sources which helped me in my research today. There were several articles from Surrey Live, most notably one by Christy O'Brien from October 2022. A piece on mysteriousbritain.co.uk by one of their writers, Ian first published in January 2013, and both of those were concerning the Surrey Ghost Crash. We had that Wales Online article about the crop circles, that was by Neil Shaw from January 2024. 2024, that feels so weird to say. And finally, that Reader's Digest piece about the jeans pocket by Morgan Cotolo from August 2021. There are loads of ways to get in touch and share your own thoughts and comments about these stories. You can find us on Instagram at thingsgetweirdpodcast on Facebook by searching for Things Are About To Get Weird, or you can pop me an email at thingsgetweirdpodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, a quick rating or review wherever you listen is always greatly appreciated. I'll be back again on Wednesday next week with another full episode for you. So until next time, take care of yourself and others and keep it weird, but the good kind of weird.